It's interesting how every small town has a different culture. Those who, of us who are from Neely know that Neely is different from Oakdale or Clearwater or Plainview or Elgin or any other small town in the nation. Neely is different. Those who live in Oakdale, Clearwater, Plainview, Elgin, or any of the other towns around could say that, oh yes, their town is different too. Everyone, every town is different than every other town. Every town has a different culture. We could take some time and, and kind of tear apart all these different cultures and talk about what's good about them. We could talk about what's bad about them, but we're not going to because that has nothing to do with the Bible. We all have our own perspectives on what's good and bad about different cultures. It has nothing to do with Scripture. I had the privilege of traveling to Brazil once and to Germany twice. And this might come as a shocker to some people, uh, but Brazil and Germany are completely different than the United States. (laughs) We're all on the same page here? Okay. Uh, Once I arrived back into the United States, I breathed this breath of fresh air of like, finally, I'm among people who are like me, who dress like me, who think like me, who talk like me. And I was in the airport and there's all this English around me. It was amazing. Now, in truth, I had just landed in New York, so actually no one there was like me, dressed like me, talked like me, anything, but it was close enough to me that it felt that way. On these trips, my group leaders told us not to act like an American. We were going to work at youth camps uh, and share the gospel through different ways at these youth camps. And we're told not to act like an American, but to take on the culture of the location we're in so that the focus would be on the gospel instead of those stupid Americans. That was the phrase that was used. We weren't too successful at that. Turns out teenagers don't have a good job of leaving their own culture behind. But the warning by my group leaders stuck with me. And it was cemented more into my mind with my work with international students in Dallas uh, and more in my mind with my training through RHMA. If our goal is to share the gospel, we must be a student of whatever culture we are interacting with so that the gospel will shine through us instead of us shining through us. Some people might say, oh, oh, you're just being a chameleon here. Well, maybe. I call it being colored by the gospel. Uh, And this is what Paul is writing about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. If you want to read along with me, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many people as possible. To the Jew, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. Will you pray with me? Father, Thank you for giving us the blessing of the gospel. To know that through your son, Jesus Christ, we can stand redeemed and forgiven. That we can have a personal relationship with you that lasts for all of eternity. 
and through it find hope and peace and comfort and endurance because you are the God who is with us. Lord, it is truly awesome to know you. Thank you for giving us your word that we can know you better. And as we study it, Lord, I ask that we would understand it, not just with our mind, but with our heart and our life, that we would show it to the world around. As I'm up here, I ask that I would decrease and that you would increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. Amen. We are to be colored by the gospel. So let's talk about the gospel. The gospel is the truth of our salvation. The gospel is the truth of our salvation. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 23, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. He says the gospel there. Later on in 1 Corinthians 15, he's going to actually define for us what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 8. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. I'm looking forward to preaching on these verses when we get there in a a couple weeks, 1 Corinthians 15. But for now, let's talk about the gospel. What is it? The gospel is the truth that we are sinners, that we have lived our lives apart from the holiness of God. It's quite a phrase to say we've lived our lives apart from the holiness of God, but what does that mean? We believe that God created us. When he created the heavens and earth, he created us. And he said at our creation that there is a standard for us to meet. Specifically, we were called to reflect him and his character. In Genesis 1.27, God says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So, thinking about who God is. In his, he is faithful. He is loving. He is just. He is righteous. He is perfect. He is loyal. He is pure. He is all these different characteristics that you can think of that we would define him as, and all these things that we can think of that we would define him as, we are called to reflect him in those characteristics. We say that God is love, unconditionally, perfect love. We are to be as well. But all those things we, we don't do. Instead, we shatter the image of God. Instead of being who he wants us to be, we run away from him. We choose to worship ourselves. We choose to worship our reason, our desires, our priorities. We declare that we can provide everything that we need. We don't need God. I'm good how it is. And what happens when we try to be like God? We mess it up. We mess up our lives. We mess up the world. We mess up eternity. Because as Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. God in his holiness cannot have anything sinful around him. His character drives sin away, as far away from himself as as possible. Our sin, our choices, 
all those times that we said that our priority is not God created the situation that we're in, that we're driven away from God. If we think about who God is in his holiness and in heaven, in eternity, and we're driven all the way opposite from him to the farthest reaches of hell, the farthest away that you can think of from God because of our sin. It's important to note that everyone who is going to be cast into hell at the day of judgment, they're not going to be cursing God. They're not going to be shaking their fist in his direction saying, why God did you put me here? They're all going to say, God, you are just. And they're going to curse themselves for all of eternity because they never turned to him in faith. They never accepted his gift that he freely offers. They will regret their life for all of eternity in that place that is the absence of God and his character. The gospel starts with an understanding of our state that we are sinners. But the gospel continues with a statement of hope that Christ died for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Our sin deserved death. Adam and Eve at the beginning of time, placed in the Garden of Eden, were created for eternity, but they sinned and therefore they died. They died both physically and spiritually. Physical death is a separation of the soul and body. That's what physical death is. We could go into all these medical definitions, but this is physical death right there, separation of the soul and body. Spiritual death is a separation between us and God. Death is separation, whether physically or spiritually. Sin brings death. It brings separation. Sin never brings completion. That's why the alcoholic or the drug addict is never satisfied. The addiction is promising something to them that it cannot fulfill. It cannot deliver completion. It cannot deliver satisfaction. No matter what sin we're pursuing, that cannot deliver satisfaction or completion. It only brings death separation physically, spiritually, and eternity of that. But God, God looked at our state of our sin and sent his son to do what we could not do. We could not save ourselves from our sin. We could not rescue ourselves from the pit of hell and the doom that we're about to have. We needed something else. No amount of good we do changes the fact that we're sinners. It cannot do that. So no matter what, our sin dooms us to an eternity of death, an eternity of separation, but God. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus on that cross, our sin on his shoulders, hanging there in agony to pay the penalty for our sins, to rescue us from hell and bring us to life. First Corinthians chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. With the last breath that Jesus breathed, freedom and forgiveness was offered to the world on that day 2,000 years ago. Salvation through Jesus Christ. As Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the bridge to eternity. We are not. He is. 
Some might say, well, that sounds good, but how do I know that to be true? How do I know that freedom and forgiveness is offered to us through Jesus Christ? How do I know that this salvation is real? Why do you say that Jesus is the only way? There's a lot of other good people and a lot of other religions. Well, it's because Jesus offered proof. He rose from the dead. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4, he says that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Very few people statistically have been brought back from the dead. Anyone know anyone in your life that's been brought back from the dead? No. Statistic, that word. Exactly. It's very rare. And there's been only one person through all of eternity who has raised himself from the dead. And that person is Jesus Christ. There's overwhelming proof of his resurrection. There's been books of facts upon facts upon facts of how we can know for sure that, yes, Jesus was raised from the dead. Paul mentions in this passage that over 500 people saw him at one time, and they attested that, yes, he was raised from the dead. And if 500 people came to you, one run after the other, and said, this thing is true, I experienced it, I saw it, we would say, yes, that is probably true. Christ's resurrection is a seal to say the product that he is offering is the real thing. He really died for us. He really is able to completely provide forgiveness of our sins. He is really God. He really can give us an assurance of eternity, not a, oh, I hope it happens, but a yes, through him, it will happen to live forever with him. He is really the only way, and we know that because of the resurrection. So the gospel is that we are sinners. Christ died for us. We have proof given All this is because of God's plan. It was not an accident. It was not an accident. The gospel, what God did through Jesus Christ, was not an accident. We know the verse that gets memorized in Sunday school all the time, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I just quoted from the King James, and that's the NIV. Because that's what I memorized it in. Since the beginning of time, God has been orchestrating... His plan for our salvation since the beginning of time. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul mentions twice that what Jesus did was according to scriptures. We could spend years going through the Old Testament, pouring through all those chapters and verses, creating these charts of all the different prophecies that point to Jesus coming and describing specifically what would happen during his life and ultimately pointing to his death, burial, and resurrection. In God's amazing grace, he chose to save us, those who could not save ourselves. And it was not a knee-jerk reaction. But in his power, he brought it about in the perfect, necessary way. Since he planned it, since he brought it about, he provided the opportunity, he provided the means for salvation, he provided a relationship for him, an eternity of bliss, we are called to follow the plan that he set out. Everyone knows John 3.16, but very few people memorize the verses after it. John wrote, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. There are a lot of religious people in America. We've talked about this in other weeks. There are a lot of people that say, oh, I believe in God. I'm a religious person. What they're saying is they believe in 
a God. But James writes this in James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe there is one God, good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. The question for every single person who says, oh yes, I believe in God, I'm a religious person, is how is our Christianity or our religion or our faith different from the devil's? Because the devil believes there is a God and he's going to spend eternity in hell. So where does getting saying, I believe in God, how does that do anything? It's not enough to believe there is a God. Scripture says we must make a decision to trust in Jesus, to believe in him. So many people get caught up in the simplicity of the gospel. They say, oh, is that enough? No, but there's stuff. I need to do something. So there are some churches who have changed their viewpoints over the years to make people happy, and they start preaching that we need to do something for our salvation. They say that we need to get baptized, or we need to do good works, or we need to pray certain things, or we need to attend church every week, or we need to do all these other things to earn our salvation. But unfortunately, once we start adding to the gospel, it is not the gospel anymore. It becomes a trust in ourselves and what we can do. And we already said that we're sinners, and we're just going to go to the pit of hell. So we can't save ourselves. So why would we trust in ourselves to do something? We cannot save ourselves. Paul wrote it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Once we realize our sin and say, I need help, and I'm not going to trust in anything I can do anymore, but instead I'm going to trust in Jesus and his death on the cross alone. I make that decision personally for myself and joyfully trust him for my salvation. We are saved, and it's a done deal. We're guaranteed a personal relationship with the creator of the universe from the moment of faith into all of eternity. We get to be with him, guaranteed eternal life, as Paul says in Romans six twenty three. the gift of God. The gift is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you made this decision? Have you done it? Or in your life, are you still trusting in your works? Or are you still trusting in this statement of faith that is the same as the devil's? Jesus offers us salvation. And it's for us to accept it. So have we accepted it? The gospel is the truth of our salvation. There's no other way. The gospel is the passion of our lives. If we have been saved, if we realize who we are and we realize how much Jesus has done for us, we should be excited about the gospel because it has changed everything about us. We were dead and now we are alive. We were hopeless and now we have hope. We were purposeless, and now we have purpose. We had a hole in our hearts, and now we are completely filled. If anything should give us passion, it is the gospel. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9.23, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. I need a volunteer. Mason, will you come up with me? Come, stand right here. Thank you. Turn around, wave at everyone, say hi. Thank you. All right, Mason, say someone walks up to you in school one day and says, you know what? I got a lot of cash to throw away. I'm going to give you $10,000. What would your reaction be? 
Exactly. <laughs> well done. And now, when you go home, what are you going to tell your folks? Nothing. <laughs> He's going to keep it for himself. And then all the next week, when you go around and talk to all your friends, what, sh- what are you going to talk about? exactly. Okay, instead of $10,000, this person comes up to you and says, you know, I got a lot of cash flowing around, so I want to give you a million dollars. And that right there is a picture of a million dollars. Those are all $5,000 bills. So he wants to give you a million dollars. What was your reaction going to be? Can I have it? (laughs) He says, yeah, and he brings his, bolt, his dump truck and just dumps it at your feet, and, and then when you go home, what are you going to tell your folks? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> and what's your conversation going to be all week with your friends? I'm rich. I'm rich, exactly. Thank you. Go sit down. You did great. Give him a hand. Both of those, the $10,000... The million dollars gave him passion. You saw his eyes light up, and he said for the next week, even though he's not going to tell his parents a thing, he's going to talk to all his friends about it. That's the only thing that's going to be on his mind. The gospel has changed our lives radically if we have turned to Jesus in faith. The gospel has provided more for us than a million dollars or a thousand dollars could provide because money can't buy us happiness Money can't buy us joy. Money can't buy us hope or forgiveness or peace or eternity. Any other things that God offers us through Jesus Christ. It doesn't. This next weekend, as I said, Nebraska is going to play Michigan. And we're going to lose. Because Michigan's rated number four in the nation. And we're rated nothing. And we're Nebraska. It's, I've, I've, I've settled. I'm okay. I'm okay. Next year is our year. If perchance, by some fluke, Nebraska beats Michigan, what is everyone going to be talking about? The game. Because it's unreal. It's unheard of. If we realize what Jesus did for us, truly realize, we will realize this is unheard of. It can't be. Therefore, I must tell people about it because of what he's done. It's the passion for our lives. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 9.23, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul loves the gospel so much that he wants to have a share in the work of the gospel. He wants his life to show everyone what the nature of the gospel is. Have you ever jumped into a pool or a lake with your clothes on? Anyone? Be bold and raise your hand if you have. Thank you for those bold people. I appreciate it. Everyone else, if we've ever seen someone jump in a pool or lake with their clothes on, they come out and we say, why did you do that? What possessed you to do that? Now, if you were not there when they jumped into that pool or lake, but you see them standing there next to a pool or lake, pool or lake with their clothes dripping, 
you know exactly what happened. You know they went into that pool or lake with their clothes on. And inside your brain, you're thinking, why in the world did that happen? Why in the world would you do that? I'm not hating those who have done that, okay? We're good. No judgment here. But it's the same way with Paul. He wanted the gospel to be pouring off of him. Even if everyone looked at him and say, why in the world did you do that? Why did you say that? Why did you act that way? Why was your reaction this way? He wanted everyone to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that his life was defined by the gospel, that he was a follower of Jesus Christ, and everyone who interacted with him knew it, just as if he had jumped into a pool or lake. The gospel is the truth of our salvation. It should be the passion of our lives. The gospel is the reason for our action and words. Paul wanted the character of the gospel, which is the character of Christ, to be evident through his life. Paul's ultimate purpose in life was to share the work and character of the gospel. That's what he wanted to do every single moment of every day, which is why he could say in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23, he could say, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jew, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but under the law of Christ, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Everything Paul did Everything Paul said was that people could see the gospel shining through his life. Some people say, well, well, Paul was a hypocrite then because he changed who he was around other people. But no, he wasn't. He stood firm on truth. He didn't change what he believed. What he believed, however, forced him to realize that his priority in life, every single moment of every day, was the gospel. And the gospel forced him to stand shoulder to shoulder with Jews and Gentiles and socially dependent and vulnerable and people that no one else liked. It forced him to act in solidarity with every kind of person in every kind of situation because the gospel called to all those people and he wanted to be the one calling to those people. Paul wanted to live the character of the gospel. That's not hypocrisy. That is the life that he spoke earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. When Paul said, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He would, wherever he was, he would willingly give up his rights. He would willingly enter situations that would make him uncomfortable. He would willingly interact with everyone that no one else wanted to interact with so that by all possible means, he might save some. I think about Jesus. When Jesus was here on earth, Remember, he was the holy God living in holy heaven and his holiness drives all sin away from him. He came to earth to live among us. Excuse me. And he purposely spent time with those that society said were too sinful to spend time with. He spent time with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. That because he spent so t- much time around them, the religious elites said that Jesus was therefore bad because he spent time around the sinners. But why did he do this? For the sake of their souls. To reach their souls. Translate that for today. Think about a Trump supporter and a Biden supporter. Either one. I don't care. 
Think about one of them on either side. Whichever one you relate to, put yourself there. And that person purposely reaches out to have lunch with someone in the other camp regularly. Not just once, but regularly. Committing to not talk about politics, committing to not talk about elections, because the state of the other person's soul was more important to them than anything else. Does this happen today? No. Paul wished that he would be cursed for all of eternity if only his nation would turn to Jesus. That's a pretty serious statement. What are we willing to give up? What are we willing to give in exchange for the salvation of just our county or our town? What is our priority in life? Is it this? What is our passion in life? Is it this? What does that look for us? What does it look like for the gospel to be the reason for our words and our actions? What does that look like? Consider our lives. Consider who we are with our families. Does the character of the gospel color how we treat our spouse or how we treat our kids or how we treat our parents or how we treat our siblings? Is, are we continually focused on how can I show the gospel to those I live with? Are we standing with those in our family seeking to know them and understand them so that we can transparently show the gospel to them instead of our showing ourselves to them? What are we doing? Consider who we are at work or who we are in the community. Are we putting up walls between ourselves and other Christians uh, on issues that are nowhere near the importance of the gospel? Consider how we interact with those who are non-Christians. Are we putting up barriers between ourselves and non-Christians, eliminating any opportunity to share the amazing truth that Jesus died for sinners like me? And if he died for a sinner like me, you're definitely in. Do people see us having a passion for the gospel as they interact with us in our work and community? Or do we have a passion for something else? Are we talking more about something else in the gospel? Are, are our lives saying that the hope for our nation is Jesus Christ? Or are our lives and our conversations saying that the hope for our nation is something else? What is it? What does it look like for the gospel to be the reason for our words and our actions? As we interact with society and each other, consider what we're willing to let slide. Consider what we're willing to live without for the sake of the gospel. There are some things we might be passionate about, but is the gospel more of a passion for us, therefore, we'll let that go. We love our rights, but would we willingly give up our rights if it meant that a family member or a friend would ultimately turn to Jesus Christ in faith? What is more important to us? I think about Paul in Philippi. He had certain rights as a Roman citizen, but he willingly gave up those rights. And because he gave up those rights, he was flogged and thrown in jail. He could have said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen, you can't do this to me. But he kept silent, was flogged, thrown in jail, spent all night there, and ultimately the Philippian jailer and all the jailer's household to Jesus, turned to Jesus Christ in faith. Because Paul was willing to say, this is more important to me than my rights. Paul said, nothing is more important to me than the gospel. So I will stand shoulder to shoulder with all sorts of people so I can show them the gospel so I can win them to the gospel. 
Warren Wearsby said it this way, Paul had the right to eat whatever pleased him, but he gave up that right so that he might win the Jews. Paul revered the law, but set that aside so that he might reach the lost Gentiles. He even identified himself with the legalistic weak Christians so that he might help them to grow. It was not compromise, but rather total abandonment to the higher law of love. Paul followed the example of the Savior and humbled himself to become the servant of all. What is the reason for our actions and words? During the week, is it the gospel? Is it money? Is it pride? Is it busyness? Is it insecurities? The gospel should be the truth of our salvation. It should be the passion of our lives, and it should be the reason for our action and words. Is it? Is it? Today we get to celebrate that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, willingly. The Bible describes him as the Lamb of God, and the prophet Isaiah writes about him in Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, made intercession for the transgressors. Today we get to celebrate the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But as we celebrate, may we remember the truth and may we commit to have it color our life. Paul writes about 